Hi, everyone. I'm Andrew. And I'm Michael. And this is the Endurance Innovation Podcast. Hey, everyone, and uh, welcome back to Endurance Innovation. Uh, joining us today is uh, a gentleman who I've been trying to get on the podcast, I think, for about eight months now, uh, and uh, I'm thrilled to have him here, and that is uh, John Buckley. So for those of you who don't know who John is, uh, John has over 20 years of experience as a motorsports aerodynamicist. He has worked on world championship winning Mercedes, Braun, and Renault F1 cars, as well as the Le Mans winning Porsche 919. As a lifelong swimmer, John became passionate about cycling through triathlon. He started this project in a quest to understand why his race times never reflected his expected performance from the wind tunnel. John relaxes by walking around his neighborhood with his cat and by not falling off his bike. And he's on a seven-month streak now. So hopefully that, that streak continues, John. Um, and, uh, you know, now that you are not have not fallen off your bike, you're able to talk to us. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much for taking the time. Okay, no, thank, 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 thanks for having me. Um, yeah, we've been exchanging emails for a while, and it's really been a long time coming. So, uh, so yeah, we're, we're really happy to be here. Happy to have you, of course, John. And so the reason John's here is, um, is that uh, his uh, his current business, uh, Streamlined Arrow, uh, grew out of another business called uh, VeloSense, which uh, some of you listeners are familiar with. And in fact, uh, this our latest conversation with John over email happened because uh, two of you listeners uh, sent me notes on Instagram um, after seeing some stuff that John's uh, company posted saying, look, oh, you got you to gotta get this guy on the show. And that uh, that reminded me that we've had this longstanding conversation going. So I sent him another email, asked him to come on, and he was uh, kind enough to agree. So John, so this is what we're here to talk about. Um, the, uh, the products that you folks have been hard at work developing um, through, uh, through Streamlines. So why don't we start by talking about how Streamlines came to be and uh, how you got from being an, uh, an F1 aerodynamicist to a cycling one. Okay, yes. Um, I mean, I think uh, I've been working pretty much my entire career up until 2013. Um, when I was 22, which is, yeah, I really show my age here, 98, I, mo- I moved to the UK. I got a job at the Audi Le Mans pro- project and... Um, from then up until 2013, I was uh, I was in F1. I was um, I was in charge of sort of front end of the car with the front wing, and I was managing a group of aerodynamicists. And uh, I wasn't really enjoying my job anymore. And um, <laughs> you know, I didn't want my boss's job. And um, you know, I realized it was really kind of time for me to really time for me to move on. And um, and so I uh, began doing some aerodynamic consultancy. And it was uh, it was a nice change, but it mm-hmm. was actually very similar work. And it was, to be honest, it was less, yeah, it was definitely less cutting edge. You know, it was nice in that I could really rely on the expertise that I had. And I kind of felt, you know, delivering clients, you know, good, good value for money. And when I started out, I hoped that would really do a lot of diverse things. But money-wise, it just ended up being 100% motorsport again. Okay, and yeah. uh, there was another uh, colleague of mine, uh, uh, Barney Grood, who I'd worked with at Mercedes, and uh, would really had a, uh, we'd always been talking about some, you know, ideas of what we could do, and we said, look, neither of us, well, I don't want to be doing this when I'm 60, and uh, we said, you know, we should come up with a product, and 
you know, come up with a product. We'll make that, you know, and then just let the money roll in. You know, we can sit on the beach. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and so that part of the plan hasn't exactly worked out. But, um, you know, a few of the ideas, one was to do like wind tunnel software. Um, I think while I was at Mercedes, um, that was actually with Barney. He got me really just from doing start out just doing excel macros but then we had our own software at, at uh wind tunnel software at mercedes and there's a lot of things there that um yeah we we're really able to change and i mean i think even um and it really made a difference because there was so many people looking at the tunnel results that mm -hmm. um everybody was making different interpretations and there needed an awful lot of commentary and an awful lot of you know flags and so we were able to uh, to get a lot of that in there and now we're using customer tunnels and we're realizing like these, you know, so much, there's so much that you could do in the data presentation in a wind tunnel because so much confusion, there's so much lost time in that. Hmm. And um, so that was one idea, but then the other one was, you know, I really wanted something to tell me the aerodynamics on the bike when I'm on the road. I, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I'd done these wind tunnel tests on the bike and, um, you know, I knew what my drag was and all right, you can have the wind this way or that way, but I can't have a headwind all the time. I was just too <laughs> slow compared to, compared to my results. And it was like, I know my power meter isn't off by that much. I mean, the obvious thing was that I, I was sitting too high. And also when I was in the wind tunnel, you know, you, you've got like a trace, you know, a picture from the side as to what your position is. Sure. And, um, and that had just, you know, that had drifted out. And I think I just, I, w I was in a different position. I had the photographs and, you know, then sometimes I'd have somebody look. A little bit of foreshadowing for where our conversation is going to go later in the in the uh, show, folks. <laughs> that that uh, difficulty in holding your position. But uh, that's really interesting that you're, um, you're talking about wind tunnels. And uh, we uh, we had a similar conversation with uh, JP Ballard um, a couple months back, who's, of course, the uh, the founder of Swiss Side. And uh, his trajectory, was it sounds like, was a little bit similar to yours, going from F1 to, to cycling aerodynamics. So there's got to be, you know, there's got to be something in the, uh, I guess, in the makeup and the, in the, in the, maybe the genetics of, uh, of an F1 aerodynamicist then to move into cycling. I think so. I think so. I think it's a combination of being both quite competitive and there's just something beautiful and nice with, with, with bicycles. You know, they're just so, sort of so nice and simple. Like, you know, like old cars you could kind of work on and it was okay. And modern cars, nobody wants, nobody enjoys working on modern <laughs> cars now. It's it's a nightmare, whereas bicycles are like nice to work on. And then I think if you're, you know, if you're involved in aerodynamics or even technical, there's something really cool about time trial bikes. You know, just looking at it, there's a totally. simplicity. And then when you ride them, seeing how fast you can go and then being miffed while you're not going a little bit faster and why you're, why you're slow in this race. And so it's really, <laughs> you know, it, it gets really compulsive. Yeah, I'm glad you picked up on this mystery element that it is uh, it is a little bit of a mystery to to a lot of people, and and uh, it it is tough to understand where where that power goes. Why someone who is maybe roughly the same fitness as you goes faster than you on a time trial bike than you do, and, uh, and there's uh, for for those of us who are competitive, uh, yeah, there's that 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 uh, kind of ceaseless desire to get to bridge that gap. Yes, yeah, I think so because it seems like what. Yes, it seems just out of out of reach. Even though then you kind of realize after a while that some of it is just how much discomfort you can you can put up with as well. Yep. And um, and then, and I think that's actually pretty key. Then also is being able not to just have one number or one position, but to be able to say, 
okay, for this race, this is what I will go for. And this, this mm-hmm. is how much I will lose. You know, I'm willing to sacrifice this much arrow for this much comfort or, or vice versa. And that's kind of a prelude, I think, for, you know, for more to come here. For sure. Yeah. And that's a really important conversation. And that, that it's multifactorial. It's like athlete, coach, aerodynamicist. There's a lot of, you know, a lot of fingers in that pie. But before we get into that, as you say, um, what was, uh, jumping back to your, you know, the history of VeloSense and, and Streamlines, uh, what was your first cycling specific product? To start out with, we just wanted to measure, we just wanted to measure drag, the aerodynamic drag on the road. And um, we'd both been involved with, um, I was much more tunnel, wind tunnel based, but Barney had done a fair bit of track stuff. And, you know, and I'd also just looked at data and especially in the slow speed corners, there's um, the, 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 uh, the existing equipment gets very noisy and uh, especially around wind angle. And uh, Mercedes had run something a bit like a vertical wing to uh, to to measure the the wind yaw, the yaw, which becomes quite critical in slow corners. And so that's really just what you do is you measure the the angle relative to the car that the air is coming in because it makes quite a difference to to the aerodynamics of the car. Mm-hmm. And um, you, even now, the different teams run different sensors because it's actually something really critical. And so we knew that. You know, in a slow speed corner for an F1 car, that's maybe like 40 miles an hour, like 60, you know, 65 kilometers an hour. Mm-hmm. And the data is poor there. And so we just, we said here, we need a different kind of probe. The, the kind that um, there's, I'll get a little bit technical here. There's Please. the off the shelf ones here, yaw probes. They're generally break down to sort of a chisel tip or a spherical tip. And, um, they both they both struggle at sort of low speeds or getting picking up good resolution there. The type that Mercedes ran and they, they still use it quite a lot. If you look, it's a big sort of wing section that's very good up to around like seven or eight degrees. But mm-hmm. after that, the wing starts to stall. Um, and okay, yeah. uh, and so with cycling, you know, eight degrees is actually a pretty windy day. But an average of eight degrees means that there's actually a lot of stuff that's like fifteen and twenty degrees and then mm-hmm. snapping back. So that means if you're stalled part of the time, essentially it's, um, I think a good analogy of that would be like, uh, if you have an amplifier, you can turn it up to like eight, you know, but if it starts to clip, then you, you, you don't want it to clip. You don't want your sensor running out of range. Mm-hmm. And no, that so makes perfect we, sense. Yeah. So we, what we really wanted to do here was to make something that could capture something wide and, um, and so we started out with like a keel probe and we'll probably try and get some stuff up on the website uh, on this showing maybe the history of where it came about was a combination of a keel probe and then this sort of wing sort of device that we ran at Mercedes. And then the real innovation um, came when we ended up like inverting that wing and actually running the, um, so what we end up running is we end up running the air within this channel and we're measuring the difference between the two sides. Oh, cool. So listeners, this is something that's, uh, that's much easier to visualize if you can see the, the, the image of it. And, uh, John's kindly shared that, uh, the image of the prototype that we'll, we'll post in the show notes, but it's, uh, it's totally worth looking and it's, it's different than I'm pretty sure anyone that we've ever 
spoken with uh, from an aero sensor perspective, everyone has an external pitot, um, which, you know, for those of you who listening who've ever seen an aero sensor, you know, you have the, the pitot tube or two pitot tubes, depending on who, who you're talking to, um, uh, protruding from the device itself. So this is almost like an, almost like an inverted one, if I can uh, simplify it. Yeah, I think that, that that's a good description. And I think as as aerodynamicists, yeah, we were really excited by well, we were really excited by what the performance we saw in the wind tunnel and then on the road. And so um, we um, this could measure up to fifty degrees with you know with like a zero point one degree resolution. Wow. Most people are not you know nobody really cares you know. But the the bottom line was it was a lot better than anything else out there, and we were really excited about that. Um, and there's um there's a saying I think is if you if you build a better mousetrap the world will be the path to your door. But the funny <laughs> thing is, I think it might be true for mousetraps, but it's not true for yaw probes. It was, we were thrilled, but nobody else cared. Um, there's a bit of more of a market for mousetraps, I suppose. Than, than yeah, I think so. I think it might be slightly larger. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, and actually going forward then to the. Um, to the pandemic, we um, we began selling sensors back to F1 teams, and they cared. And so, and and I think there still is quite a market for that. Um, and then they're in aerospace as well. Aerospace is with the certification, the regulation. It's kind of slow going into that, but that's something which is still sort of untapped. Mm-hmm. But I'll, I'll move back a little bit back to around 2016. You know, we we're starting out. We had a um, it's literally a, it was a Tupperware box with, <laughs> yeah, it, the sort of predecessor to this thing. It looked like a UFO strapped on top of it. And so I had like my two arms on each side of this box on, on like a set of tri bars. Yeah. And, you know, as much as we were able to tell is, yes, we could measure wind and there was some, um, and the wind was slowing down. As, and you could get, you know, you could get a slightly better reading on your drag than just doing an out and back test with that. But um, we kind of said, all right, if you get to within two percent here, I think that's something you know that that's something very usable. Mm-hmm. And so this was like 2016, 2017. We developed this new type of probe, and at that year, I think um, that was that summer when uh, I think Garmin bought Alpha Mantis, and yeah, so, Sandra, yeah. you know, so we okay, we didn't even know Alpha Mantis really existed, <laughs> and we were suddenly whoa. And we, we were really... There might, be, there might be some dollars in in this field. Yeah. And so we formed VeloSense there, and we had already started a patent on it because, you know, we sort of naively enough, we, we thought we'd got a gold mine with this aero sensor. Um, but, um, well, I, I think I think there is there is potential in it, but it, it doesn't, uh, it needs applications. Right, right. So from 2017, uh, you have you have a patent, you have a you have a device, and then uh, if we can fast forward to where we are, you know, in the in the more recent years, uh, how close? You know, this is a question I always ask people, and they, you know, sometimes people give me very direct answers, and sometimes people say, you know, pen, they blame the pandemic for a for a, a more a less direct answer. Let's <laughs> it's say super useful. It's super useful in some respects. In that. some respects, I'll, that's I'll true. Admit, you can yeah. obfuscate using COVID, no doubt. Yeah, um, or chip so, shortage. <laughs> exactly, chip shortage. How? Uh, uh, how close are we to having one that's commercially available for for this for the aero sensor at least? The aero sensor, yeah, I won't uh, like I, I I won't comment. I think some people inside the industry like they've mentioned to me, oh, just, just don't don't give a date. You'll like, yeah, always be wrong, the, and you'll end up regretting answer. it. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm sorry here. Yeah, I, I won't give a that's date. Right. What I'll what I'll say right now with the aero sensor is that um, the aero sensor right now we've. 
yeah, we uh, we're very happy with the accuracy. It's uh, and with the hardware, I think it's it's quite complete. Um, and we've got quite a lot of mounting solutions for different TT and road bikes, and that's something which, mm-hmm. as long as if you're mounting, we we mounted around um, around 200 millimeter, around 20 centimeters forward of the front wheel center line, or just above the front wheel. And um, but getting it there and getting it something that's stable and light, kind of, it's not it's not rocket science, but it's not it's it's a bit of work as well. And it could be an F1 car road bars, I bet. Yeah, road bars, and then also TT. Bars are they're so diverse and there's so many different cockpit types. So yeah, that's yeah. you know we're p- pretty happy with that. But the the main thing right now though is that I think aero sensors are what aero sensors they're bringing a they're bringing a wind tunnel to to people and mm-hmm. you know rather than, and that's I think a bit of a problem in itself. A wind tunnel is an engineering tool and it's there aren't really you don't have a consumer wind tunnel and it and you know so there's a couple of things for that there's 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 a technical side to it to making sure that all the equipment is working properly and then there's the other side to it of okay i can measure my drag what now and so we are um we're really in the process of just of refining the software such that it's moving from a tool for aerodynamics i think moving to someone with technical training mm-hmm. such as the coach coach and bike fitter really and that's just really providing sort of flags warnings and also a way to take a deeper dive into the data should there be something which you don't understand or something that isn't and at that point also to be available there that the company is available for customer support and mm-hmm. that we, we have all the data recorded and so in this case you don't waste any time testing I'm I'm th- I'm really really pleased to hear you say that because I you know we've we've had folks talk about how they have a you know a consumer ready product out there and and I've uh, and listeners you know <laughs> you know I've talked about this quite a length and John I think we I, I touched on this when we had our our conversation before this recording that I am uh, profoundly skeptical of anyone who who tells me that they have a consumer device ready to go because you know my own experience both testing myself and testing other people and then using different devices and speaking to different experts in the field uh, I'm yeah deeply skeptical that there's one that's immediately that's immediately available because and I think you put it like beautifully that the wind tunnel is an engineering tool and these probes are engineering tools. And if you're an engineer, yeah, you can get good data out of it, but that gap between getting the data and then analyzing the data and contextualizing the data, it's that last part that contextualizing the data, that's so not trivial and people think it is. And uh, I'm really happy to hear you say like, you know, hear you talk about how much work you're putting into it and how I, I maybe, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but maybe what I'm hearing is how cautious you're being with it. I think that's from my own kind of armchair aerodynamicist experience. That's, that's uh, exactly the way to do it. Okay. Thank you. Yes. I mean, that's, um, I think, you know, that's, yeah, it's, it's a question. And I think the, there's, there'll be certain debates about what accuracy you can achieve, um, mm-hmm. but I think there's, you know, velodrome testing has been around for a while, and I think there'll be many people that testify that they've seen, you know, one percent accurate. Or let's say, let's use the word uh, precision here rather than accuracy. Precision being not necessarily the correct absolute, or even we'll use repeatability. I think is yes, a really understandable. Yes, sure. let, let's say repeatability. That a one percent repeatability in a velodrome, I think, is pretty pretty doable. And I think you'll you'll have a lot of listeners who've seen that. And so the difficulty here in outdoor testing, or just just to bring up 
right away. That 1% is probably a combination of both uh, the rider's body, you may have some drafts and things there, and the power meter. And But the power meter is actually a fraction of that 1%. And mm. if when people speak about what is the accuracy of a power meter there, it's there's the absolute accuracy, which can be plus or minus 5%, or even there's been some stuff with uh, Shimano won't be listening anyway, and they don't care <laughs> about me, but you know, there's a lot of <laughs> stuff out showing us, that yeah. Shimano stuff was out by like 7%, and depending oh, wow, on how you okay. pedal. And that stuff's all true. But even with a Shimano, for instance, is that if you pedal consistently on that, they're actually very, very reliable. And we've got logging equipment, which we can log. We'll often use a, like a power tap, a wheeled power sensor in mm-hmm. conjunction with the crank. And they really track very well. And so in the velodrome, you can, you know, 1% accuracy is achievable. And so what's different out, outdoors then? Suddenly then you have elevation and wind. Mm-hmm. And um, and then also maybe you can argue distance there. Um, oh, how distance? How do you mean? Well, let's say sort of distance and speed. In a velodrome, speed, whether you're okay. using a timing yeah. strip. So there's a question. I mean, I think a lot of people in velodromes aren't even using timing strips. They're just you just you just go off off of time. We need mm-hmm. a very accurate speed signal for this, and I think most people in velodrome are using a magnet there. Um, the reason outdoors distance becomes it becomes important just because if you're mapping that back out to a course or mapping that back out to to a gradient mm-hmm. it starts to matter a bit that you're on the you're on the right stretch of road you're on the right gradients there so we can and so to get that to get down to one percent or you know one and a half percent we're um we are mapping elevation data back to back onto the road and then we are also calculating out what the what the wind actually is which takes into account the fact that it's mounted near a bicycle mm-hmm. and we have both algorithms for both of those and making sure that all of that works smoothly mean means then that you're getting that sort of velodrome accuracy but on the road mm-hmm. well, that's uh, that's pretty cool so um it sounds like for the the biggest kind of question in my experience with uh, with the various technologies or the biggest uh, potential source of error, let's say, is is elevation. Um, and um, so I'm going to direct this as a question to you. Uh, when you're out testing, are you doing out and back runs? So where you can effectively say that you can zero out the elevation, at least from the from the run or or is this or, you know, are you shooting for the moon as far as I would say uh, and, and, and saying that you, you're able to test pretty much on any, you know, any circuit at any time? Um, where, where are you folks looking? Our focus right now is on out and back. And mm-hmm. what I'd say is here that we're not just zeroing it, but we're actually able to map out what the elevation is over that entire over that entire stretch. But we don't we're not able to do it in a single we're not able to do it in a single pass. Right. Okay. Yeah. So with an out and back we get two passes and then you then with uh, a second, if you if you repeat that again, we now have four and we're pretty locked in at that point. And so we're pretty consistent at sort of around 20, 20 centimeters on, um, on, you know, that would be two traverses. So is that, is that, um, is that accuracy coming obviously from the multiple passes, but is that from, from the sensors that you're, uh, either on board your probe or, you know, piggybacking on whatever, let's say head unit, uh, or are you actually leveraging some kind of historical data for the, um, for the terrain that this individual happens to be riding on based on their GPS coordinates? No, so that's new. So, so that can be on a that can be on a virgin stretch of roads. So, so okay. that's so so you can create your own course in, in in two passes, and you can even get aero data for those as well. Because, 
your initial pass, there could be an elevation error, but that's part of the reason with the cloud software is that anything there, you can back correct it because you're okay. applying that course to there. And we will, at some point here in the future, we don't have this yet, but to even load that course data very soon onto the device. And so then you need less communication with the, with the clouds, with the, um, with the cloud software. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then the other, uh, the other challenge that I've had personally testing, like I live in Toronto, it's a pretty busy city. It's hard to find a strip of road that takes all the boxes and doesn't have a lot of traffics. And uh, it's this traffic question, like how disturbed is your data by, by passing vehicles and uh, how, I mean, I, I know you told me you're, you're in the process of, uh, of building the software piece of it, but uh, how much attention are you paying to trying to, uh, you know, error correct for vehicles? Or are you just going to tell people that, you know, you got to find a road that has no cars on it? Yeah, that, that's that's a good question because I think, for instance, if you take two, if you maybe over a kilometer, if you take two or three passes, especially if they're relatively high speed passes, mm -hmm. they won't affect the data that much. You'll see a spike right away, and it will look almost like a lull in the wind. And um, mm, okay, yep. so you really you you can test with that and in the uk that's a real problem because just the roads are busy and it's hard to find yeah. a road that there's no traffic on right if however you're stuck behind something or you spend a, a, an extended period of time behind it really the results are out the window sure because then you're you know, drafting and then it's like it's not the same thing yeah if we had a whole rake in front of the bike we would capture the whole thing and then mm -hmm. you could probably but then your airspeed drops down so um it's so it's it's kind of a question of magnitude there and so I don't actually, this is, this is the sort of thing that I really want to get nailed down. And we can pick up, it's very obvious to pick up a car pass. You actually get this whoosh on the, on the barometric pressure. You see a little spike. The same one you feel when somebody passes yeah, you right. quickly. Um, and um, so, yeah, it's, it's not ideal, but it's not, uh, it's not a killer, though either mm -hmm. as long as it, it's really a, a question of duration so if you, if you take a kilometer and let's say you're doing that in say a minute 30 if there's three seconds if there's three seconds there that then it's, it's really not going to make it's not going to make a critical difference got it okay well that's uh, that's great i mean that's as, as far as i as far as i know as far as i've experienced that's as good as uh, as anyone else out there um okay so that's your that's the uh that's the aero sensor but you're also working on something else which you know and this is this may sound a little bit strange to the listeners uh because they know how excited i get about aero sensors but there's a there's another device that's uh you know certainly relevant and adjacent to this industry that you you folks are working on and that has more to do with uh with rider position so uh john tell us about uh tell us about this one yeah so we have this uh well, body position sensor uh we call it the forma um which is I don't know. This is my partner. She's Brazilian, so it's uh, it's means posture in Portuguese anyway. Perfect. <laughs> and what it does is it picks up your um, picks up your head and chest position, or more specifically your chin. Your picks we pick up off your chin, mm -hmm. and then also off your waist. And we're using we're using three uh, range sensors for this, and um, and so w this is mounted uh, just just forward of the steering column to just just above the steering column and for instance many on like a twin pillar tt bike we mount it just between the elbow rests and um and then we uh, just during setup then we have it has a an inbuilt a uh, like laser it's very similar to a laser pointer and you just shine that at your chest there's a small screw adjust and this is usually best done if you have somebody hold the bike or if you're on a trainer and okay, you yep. just adjust that so that it's pointing right at, that dot is pointing right at your sternum. You turn that off. Just after that, you will set a datum 
and the datum, you press a button, you get a countdown of five seconds, and then it measures that datum, and now it tells you whether your position is above or below that. So now when you're doing any aero testing or any racing, you can see how your position varies through that ride. Mm -hmm. And we can even pick up when you're standing out of the saddle as well. And so you can look over the course of a race or when you're doing aero testing, for instance, you can see that, the, that you're in the right position at all times. It's communicating over Ant. So we've got a uh, Connect IQ app and you can see you can do that as either a data field, which is in the app. And we use a red and blue color to show whether you're high or low mm -hmm. or, and then just no color if you're in the right position. Or we also have some nice graphics if you use the app. And um, and then you can see right away, are you high or you're low? And you get that, that data in real time. Yeah. Okay. So this is, you know, listeners, as I said, this is even more exciting to me <laughs> than potentially than the AeroSensor, just because um, we've talked to folks in the past, um, like we've had Leomo on, we were, even though we were talking about running shoes back then, but, uh, you know, they, they, they use their, um, their sensors uh, for this, this style of work. And, uh, um, and we've had uh, Mark Graveline, who's been on the show twice, talking about um, part of the the Gizmo integration, which is his aero sensor, um, having maybe potentially an IMU in the in the helmet to do this. But I have never heard of anyone using uh, anyone using rangefinders. So why rangefinders as opposed to IMUs, John? In this case, it's uh, just a sim it's a simpler. Um data processing. So okay. I think one of the tricky things with the IMUs is that the bike is accelerating and that uh, mm. the bike is moving as well. And so in this case, I think with an IMU, you need to put something on the bike and something on the helmet and then subtract one from the other. Right. And um, it's, yeah, it's it's definitely not, not, another way to do it. Okay. And then, uh, so you were, you were talking about setting the datum. So I, just so that I understand, the datum would be your, your ideal position, or let's say if you're doing a test, like the position you're trying to test. Is that right? Exactly. Exactly yeah. that. So just, just, just relative number, just something relative, I think, works much more important because you don't really care what's the height from your chin to your stem. You just really want to <laughs> know, am I high sense. or am I low? Yeah. 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 And immediately where my brain goes with this in terms of application, like obviously in a race, yeah, you know, you, you've, you've done your aero test, let's say, and you know what your position, your body position should be. And I mean, no one listening to this probably needs to hear this, but you know, the rider is 70 to 80% of the drag. We've probably beat that one to death. We, we all know that we're, you know, we're the big, we're the big wind resistance piece, not, not the bicycle or the wheels. Uh, so the positions of, is a force critical. So let's say you go and invest in a, in a wind tunnel test or, you know, any kind of uh, CFD or, or, or um, field test and you've done it and you've got your optimal position and then now you want to race and train in it, uh, a device like this is essential. And especially, um, you know, you talked about the, the racing bit, but I want to spend a bit of time talking about the training aspect. Let's say you're spending the winter, you know, on your turbo uh, in your basement and there's no better time to perfect that position to be able to, to get comfortable in it so that it becomes second nature. But being able to translate what you tested in however you tested and what you're doing indoors on your trainer, you know, without something like this, I think is not very possible. Yes. Yeah. I think that's, um, I think you, that's exactly it. Um, I think everybody moves, you know, in subtle ways. I mean, um, we're, you know, it's been publicized. We've been working with the Yumbo Visma for some time and they've even done 3D scans of the rider when they're in the tunnel and from when they're 
in the test to when they do the scan, they even move a bit. And mm-hmm. months <laughs> later, you mad, you redo that scan data, and it's like it's like a different rider sometimes. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, it's really hard to um, to yeah, it's you, you you don't realize that. And then the other thing is just is when you get tired, you know, absolutely. And, and I think with triathletes, it's not quite as bad with some of the, the pro cyclists. It's such an aggressive position that um, their necks can get very tired and they, um, they, they really start to, to, to change that position quite a lot. No, triathletes is pretty bad too. <laughs> like, yeah, the, yeah. Like, kind of the story that Andrew and I always tell is, uh, so Andrew, uh, when he when he had stack, um, they they developed the, the virtual wind tunnel, which is a CFD, you know, wind tunnel where they would do 3D scans with commercial sensors and then run the analysis on folks. And I remember doing it on, um, <clears throat> they were they they came to the studio that I had at the time and, and scanned a bunch of the folks that I was working with and uh, we we provided the results to them. It was a really fun process, but it was interesting to see the positions that these these individuals were holding while. They they were being scanned and they're like, this is that representative of how you actually ride outside? Cause then I go and ride with them. I'm like, mm, you know what? Something's, something's a little bit fishy here. You don't, you don't look like the way you look like when we scanned you. Yeah. And also it's very funny with the, you know, with the pro cyclists is they're, they're quite reluctant, whereas the coaches love it. You know, it's because yeah. um, yeah. <laughs> it exposes it exposes all the chinks, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Education is key in this kind of area that, that you know you you can show objectively to an individual that this is you know if this is the position that we're trying to get you to race in and 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 train in, then uh, you know you gotta you kind of have to do it, or otherwise all this all this delightful aerodynamic testing that we've done isn't really you know it's not representative of what you're doing in out in the wild. So it's not it's not really doing anybody any good exactly and i mean i think if you exactly and i mean if you go to a wind tunnel test and usually in most people now they're using some system of visual cues whether it's a side profile camera or mm-hmm. something like that and they will before each run they will cue the rider up to make sure that he's holding that same position or that he hasn't changed it or <laughs> it's like okay well <laughs> now you know once you've left the wind tunnel now what and yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you you can you can do the same thing at your house with a trainer if you with like a stationary bike if you have it, but you know it's still not the same thing as race day. And I mean, like look look what happens to your heart day heart rate between training and race day, and you know it's the same. <laughs> Totally. Oh, that's that's a great point. Um, and I also like that you're you're looking at the head. I mean, of course, this is that you know, in my experience testing, and in pretty much anyone we've spoken to who has given us you know tips on making folks more aerodynamic, that head positions everything. And especially with uh, with an aero helmet, we know that that how how so many aero helmets are so extremely sensitive to your exact head position that if it's off, you know, by by an appreciable amount, then then uh, an amazing helmet becomes a poor helmet. And so the fact that you're, you know, you're pointing at the chin is, is a, you know, in my experience, in my uh, opinion, is a real win too. Yeah. Uh, well, one thing here that I'll, I'll say, and I'm with cars, uh, you know, I have a, just from a long career, I have a lot of experience with cars in the tunnel. And, you know, I can, I've got sometimes, you know, it's, I, I think being an armchair, trying to do armchair dynamics is quite tricky. Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I don't have the experience of riders in the tunnel that much. But one thing I will say is that some of the stuff around the head can be counterintuitive, such that the the air is stagnating underneath the rider's chest and then coming up and over their shoulders and around their ears. And so a, fun, a counterintuitive thing is that sometimes that point coming up isn't quite as bad as you think, but yet sure. the head position is still quite critical. And the reason for that is that 
the air isn't moving straight back. It's actually moving up and over their shoulders. And I don't know what's going on with Specialized and those hoods, but <laughs> there is a lot around the chin, you know, around that whole area of the chin and the ears and making sure that the whole head is position is working with the rider. And I think that's the reason why different helmets work better with, with different people. Um, but it's, um, yeah, it's not always a case of just uh, lower is better, or if you see that point sticking up in the air, that it's it's not as bad necessarily as you would think. And I, I, I was the reason I say this is I was caught out. I mean, I was asked specifically to test, and I was pretty insistent. Let's, there's no point testing this right now because the point's still up in the air, <laughs> yeah. and then eventually we moved it down. And it didn't make much difference. I was shocked. Uh, I think that 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 totally um, that totally jives with with you know my experience testing and uh, and talking to kind of the top minds in the world like uh, like Dan Bingham who actually introduced us. Uh, what's what's going to end up being faster? Even someone like him, he there's there's very few absolutes. You know, there's very few things that 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 these folks will say. In my experience, this is going to be faster than that. And we're, we're confident in saying that for everybody. So there's always, there's so much, you know, as much as there is a lot of it depends statements in engineering and coaching, in aerodynamics, I think I've never heard more it depends statements. So uh, in my experience, there's no, there's, yeah, I mean, you really do have to test it in order to be certain. So I, I fully agree with what you're saying as far as, as far as helmets. But regardless, you know, whatever you find your, you know, whichever head position you find to be optimal for you, it's important that you can, you know, you know what it is and you know how to hold it and you, you You've, you've practiced holding it. Yes, yeah, I, I think definitely that it's. I think in a certain sense, the the exercise or even you know even going for a fit, it can be interesting to see. Do you keep that same fit when when you're on the road? And mm -hmm. um, and I'll just even say as an aside, a funny thing in the when you run the sensor in the wind tunnel is that. <laughs> Everybody, and I mean everybody in this tends to, when the wind comes on, because you start out, you're, you're pedaling, just to, you get a zero on the balance. And then once mm -hmm. the wind comes on, everybody drops their head a little bit. And it's, uh, <laughs> and it, you know, it's just funny. It's just a natural reaction. You're going quicker, you know, you need to get more aero. And it's, it's, it's just, it's a really funny reaction. And I'll actually tie that in with a little bit of an aside on real-time aero that displaying if you're displaying any sort of real-time error to someone which we can go into the why we're not a huge fans of that but one of the things is that whenever people see a high cda the first thing they do is they drop their head yeah which if you're trying to you know test wheels or something like that is uh it's pretty counterproductive yeah for sure or not even always that sometimes if you're doing a number of wheel tests and the rider's bored the cda is up they'll need to lift up even further because oh, this tests are right off you know as well so <laughs> Um, I mean, just a funny one in F1 testing, there's always a real dilemma between whether to tell the driver exactly what the change is, because um, I think a lot of, you know, a lot of the mistakes, certain drivers are known for giving great feedback. Mm -hmm. And so if you, if they know what the change is supposed to be, they pretty much read back verbatim what it was supposed to be. <laughs> and so it, you really want to give it to them blind, whereas the drivers are never really liked, you know, and, and from a safety perspective, I can understand it, but it's, there's always a bit of a, a debate there, whether you tell the experiment subject what the, um, mm -hmm. what the results are, you know, or even what it's supposed to do. You're mucking and, up your experiment at that point. Yeah, exactly. And th there's a reason also why you don't give real-time aero data while you're in the while the while the people are in the wind tunnel because um yeah they, they, 
they move to adjust. You know, they've moved let's to adjust. let's talk about let's talk about live CDA because you you opened up that that Pandora's okay, box. Yes, I think it's yeah. it's a question that I I I was uh, kind of on the fence about about approaching, but just because I don't know why. But uh, we we've we've had different uh, you know different folks um, express different opinions on on that matter, and and some are promising their devices will be able to give live CDA. And uh, look, I'll open up my, my cards. I'm skept- very skeptical of those kind of statements personally, based on what I've seen and based on you know the the opinions of some other folks that I really do trust. So um, where where do you fall on this one, John? What's uh, what, what's Streamline's doing in terms of live CDA? Well, I'll I'll back up even a little bit more, and I'll say that I think for aero sensors, they've there's a big asterisk over them right now. That there's a question of how much can you trust them, mm-hmm. and I think it's very important now that um, you know if you release a product that there's a certain level of trust that what you get on the results is important. And here, your early adopters are going to be people who already have some level of optimization. So, yeah. I think you need probably sub two percent accuracy, maybe you know one and a half, one percent. If you want to say in watts, that's getting down. You know, two percent will probably be like for many cyclists, maybe four watts. You know, four or five watts, and then going down from there. But you know, that that's where you're going to make meaningful changes. So at that level, we need to be on the road. We're we're talking probably you know a one kilometer out and back, which is about three minutes three minutes sample time um i'll contrast that with a wind tunnel you can probably do that in 15 to 30 seconds of sample time maybe sometimes 10 seconds it'll depend a bit on the rider and um with wind tunnel you also have a warm-up and a and a stop as well so it's you know i, I sometimes think that road testing can compete with wind tunnel testing but hmm. to return back to the question is just that sample time let's say let's say you get the sample time on the road to 30 seconds okay um i think doing that as a rolling average is not very intuitive nobody remembers when the 30 sec when that 30 second window started okay yeah like what were you doing 30 seconds ago you mean exactly exactly so i think here that some sort of you know i think we currently test we use gates on the road such as you mark the gps gate like dropping a pin but mm-hmm. we'll also recommend that that somebody puts a water bottle you know a bead on or something or just put something on the side of the road so you mm-hmm. know all right get in position at that side of the road and that's where the testing is happening to and from and I've, at a later date we'll be able to divide up your ride for instance let's say you go on a 10k loop you can divide that into segments and 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 take a result from there. But in terms of going back to getting that result in real time, there's this aspect of, of when did the measurement period start and finish? And I think that's problematic for a user interface with the real-time arrow. And then there's the question of sample size. And once you introduce elevation into it, sample size becomes really problematic because yeah i'm saying like three minutes or you know two two out and backs on a kilometer so that's a three minute i don't know you can't really call three minute real time so um that's basically a test you know you've just done a test yeah you're you're blurring the lines between real time and 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 you know targeted testing yeah one caveat i'll say there is for instance i think that um the data is much crisper on a velodrome and so that's um just because you you've eliminated the elevation Yep. And, um, and you control the wind. Yeah. And so, so in this sense, I think that a 30 second, you know, which would be probably two laps or, you know, a bit more um, for, you, you could probably, you can display results like that. And I think that's maybe where a lot of the buzz came from 
real-time CDA was that you can get something approximating that in the velodrome. I think outdoors, it's tricky. Or the biggest thing for me, though, is as well, is if you give somebody the wrong results, what do you do then or what? Yeah. I don't know. It seems to kind of snowball out from there. Yeah, I would even stretch that out to even if you give somebody the right results, what do you do from there? Right? Like, what do you, how do you know? So look, when you're, when you're formally testing, right, obviously is, you know, you're, you know, scientific method, right? You have, you have one tested variable, right? you put on a different helmet, you change your position, you change your wheels, whatever the case may be, and you run it out and then you compare it to your other results and then you can make some decisions. When you're out riding, let's say you're racing, um, you know, the changes are not altogether clear like what did you do not only when did you do it but what did you do and how do you fix it and i mean with uh maybe with a with an aero sensor like yours you can get a sense of what the wind is doing but sometimes i remember testing um with the nocio uh, i was just I was just riding around because at one point nocio would give you a live cda which i quickly realized was you know a random number generator is the joke around here um because like you would you know you would turn you would turn 90 degrees and obviously the wind conditions would change the yaw would change tremendously and no show didn't measure you know they only measured zero zero degree airflow um and then the, the cda value was completely different especially if you were running deep wheels it was just like you know it was totally different and i didn't do anything you know i didn't cause the change in cda my environment changed so then as an athlete especially if i'm in a, if i'm in a race scenario and i'm trying to focus on you know 50 other things well maybe not that many but at least trying to keep my power up and my chin down uh, what what uh, you know what, what did i do to co- to affect this change and the answer is sometimes nothing it was just you know the environment changed or the road became rougher you know you hit a patch of different asphalt and so i would say that you know, I loved what you said earlier about it not being, you know, you may not, you, when you were in F1, you w- didn't necessarily want to give your your uh, drivers that information. I'm totally in the same boat for cyclists. You don't, you don't even want to give them live CDA, even if, even if it was, you know, even if it was somehow magically the exact correct number. Yeah. Yeah. I think that it's, it's not action. Well, as people say, the word actionable, it's just not actionable at the time. <laughs> yeah. What do you do with it? <laughs> yeah. I think that, uh, and almost going back when I was saying about the experienced cyclist, I do think that in this case, if you're getting in the 5%, if you're interested in the 5% error, like you can do a real time CDA on a, you know, on even a 30 or probably even a 20 second, you can start doing stuff like wide, wide handle, like on the, you know, narrow grip, wide grip, and you can start to see those differences because you can mm-hmm. go back and forth on that. But to the point to where I think somebody's interested in AeroSensor, they're not interested in that kind of test. Yeah. And I mean, the way the way that I would imagine sort of the, using your sensors, your two sensors together or anyone else's, you know, aero sensor or aero testing device um, and a position device is, you know, my use case would be you test with both. You establish a position, you establish a best case scenario for equipment, then you run that equipment and you run that position just using the body sensor, you know, like the former yes. in your case, Yeah. Uh, when you're training, when you're racing. And then, and then you know that, you know, in, of course, like body, obviously, you know, wind conditions can change maybe optimal body position. And we maybe don't, that, that's a, that's a tricky conversation. But if you've, if you've established that this is the optimal body position and that one that I know I can sustain, then my goal as a cyclist or time trialist triathlete becomes hold your power target hold this body position and you know as you as i said in the beginning of the you know in the intro when i introduced you is is, uh you know keep your rubber side down don't don't fall off your bike yeah yeah and i'll even add one other there's um there's a couple of other things here which which you can do as well is that um you can actually build up a bit of a profile for instance of what does let's say 
for a given stack height that I can actually drop my head a bit further and I can even have a bit more of a relaxed position. What's the effect of that? And you can mm -hmm. actually even have that mapped in. And then if you were to raise with the arrow sensor on that, you could even you can even give just even if it's approximate values, you can feed back what the number of watts you're losing from your ideal position is at any time. Mm. So that it would be a real that is a real-time application there. And so this case, I think the the example where it gets interesting is if you are climbing a hill in a headwind or if you're descending in a tailwind, it's not always clear exactly should I be, you know, can I afford to sit up? Because like, at least for me, if I'm in a long I'm just looking for the hill so I can sit up for a <laughs> sit moment. Up and stretch. Yeah. And, yeah, when can I do that? You know, and how yeah. many watts am I losing with that? And, you know, if you're going, you know, once you're down, once your airspeed's low, like, you know, under 15 kph, yeah, you can sit, you know, you can sit up high and you're losing less than 10 watts. Whereas, you know, once you're moving, once you're moving quickly, then, um, you know, or, or even into a headwind, you know, you, 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 you wouldn't want to sacrifice 30 watts in your position at that point. Mm -hmm. And yeah, so you, sure. you can display that number of watts point. and it won't be, you might be five watts out, but the question is now, am I, is it 10 watts or is it 40 watts right now? And th so that, that could be an actionable thing during a race. And I think that's, you know, that's an interesting it's an interesting application, I think. That is a, that is an interesting application. So I'm just going to parrot it back to you just to make sure that I understand. So you're not looking at like more the fine changes. You're looking at more like bigger, uh, you know, positional things that you may do to to affect uh, that that have very big effects, and that uh, that you're not worried about the resolution mucking up those uh, those big effects. You'll still see them despite the noise, and then you can make decisions whether or not you're you're doing big things. It'd be interesting to see too, like how much you know for different hydration setups, like how much what what does it cost you to you know, sit up, reach back for your bottle, and then and then pop it in your mouth. And if you're going to do that, I don't know, 30 times during a race, does it make sense to move your bottle to the front to put a straw on it? You know, you know yeah. what I mean? Yes, yeah. yes, yeah, 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 definitely. Or uh, I think also, yeah, for me, it's just a lot of just the cost of can I sit up now? When can I Get sit up? Relax. Yeah. yeah. You know, answer is when I'm following somebody else when I'm drafting. Um. <laughs> that's right. Uh, that's that's a really interesting application. I think you've uh, you've maybe you've poked a hole in my live CDA is not useful uh, position. You've you've given me a little bit of nuanced uh, because, because an interesting it. thing there as well though is that with CDA, like a even a pretty big change of CDA doesn't matter if the airspeed is low. Mm -hmm. So, sure. um, you know, if, if you're sitting up like, you know, for instance, I'll even put my hands on the pads on a, you know, on a on the tri-bar when it's like a, like a steep hill or something. But, you know, yeah, your CDA there is like, you know, maybe like 0.5 or something. But you, you're, you're, you might, you're only like 25 arrow watts, so you're only added 10 watts to it. But, you know, you really like the relief of sitting up for a moment. and For sure. Yeah, it makes a big difference, especially in like long course racing. Yeah, it makes it makes a big difference. And like knowing actually, that's a really yeah, that's a really cool application. Like knowing when you can knowing when you can relax. I like it. Because it's like what you're going to do the calculation. No, definitely not. Yeah, not while you're racing. Twenty kph. I reckon you know, like cosine, whatever you know. Absolutely not. So then, let's talk a little bit about the the data analysis, the the post hoc analysis that you're 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 going to have a software package. I understand with the other two sensors, and I'm interested to know roughly what it's like. And I know you say it's in development, and also is there integration between the aero sensor and the, the forma sensor uh, so you can see how one affects the other 
Yeah, so we, we log everything in that, and that really just came about because we needed something. We, when we were developing the sensor, we needed something. And then um, when we were providing, we've had some, um, uh, we've had, you know, people, you know, customer or, you know, customers and partners who we work with, and we need a way to present them and um, rather than just giving them an Excel sheet. And then also a way to um, so that you see all the data going into it, you know, what's the power, what's the position, and then what's what's the drag. We like to test at a constant airspeed as well because um, there is a slight variation with, with airspeed. And um, if you keep a constant airspeed, you'll generally, as long as the wind isn't changing much, you'll generally keep a constant yaw angle as well. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's giving all that information. It's def- definitely very much an engineering tool. Um, and one of the big things as well, though, is that you can you can modify all the input variables. So suppose you're uh, suppose you've got a different power meter, you can change the the power meter slope mm-hmm. or even you know the offset. And then we also I think the really tricky problem with with aero testing is both the elevation and then the what I'll call the sensor calibration, which is th- that um, the presence of the rider slows the air down as it as it passes through the sensor. And so hmm. we've okay. got an yep. automatic calibration for that and I think where we want to get to is all that's happening behind the scenes, but right now it's useful to be able to crack that calibration open and check, all right, do every, does everything look okay in mm-hmm. there? So the, the initial application is really just to make sure that point-to-point testing is working properly. And as I said, we're moving. what I want to move is from an engineering tool to what I'll just call a technical tool here to where rather than having to see all these numbers, you might just have flags if something isn't right. And then, you know, I think Google didn't, you know, is one of the people who were really clever on this is just to give somebody a white screen, you know, just, you want to get down to one number. And it was was interesting bringing up the F1 analogy again was that um, there was a really, I was in kind of a bad time in F1 from like 2003 till about 2013, 2014. There was no limit really in the number of, where they just started putting the limits there and the amount of testing you could do. And so... You had teams running two wind tunnels, 24-7, 365, <laughs> and you know there weren't that many. Sometimes only 10 or 12 aerodynamicists at some point. So you had people just uh, testing around oh the clock no. and making decisions. And you need like a single criteria so that everybody's making decisions to the same criteria. And um, there was a, you end up with a lot of talk and a lot of debates about how to make sure that all boils down to a single number. And I think that's part of what we want to do what we're doing with the web interface is such that initially you just look at a single number for your drag and then you'll just get two numbers which would be your 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 body position and then um, and that's what you look at but if you want to if you want to dig in deeper you can dig in deeper and that's you know i think our our the initial people we work with now are all very technical and they want to dig in deeper but what we need to do is reduce that so 95 percent of the time you don't need to dig in deep and everything's very yeah and then also so and then just to follow on further i think it's actually very important to not just test a single body position but to be able to integrate in what do the different positions do to really know what that's worth and so then i think that's something again which this integration can do 
And then we're also following on such that we can do loops, such as if you do a 10K or 20K ride, that we can cut mm -hmm. certain mm -hmm. segments out of that ride. As I've mentioned before, if you've done that loop more than, more than once, we can really get an accurate, we can really get an accurate fix on what the elevation is and start to get quiet, start to take drag segments, you know, CDA segments out of that, out of that ride. And we're not going to be able to do all that on a head unit. So, so that's where the that's where the web interface really comes in. Right, right. So the, you're you're going to have to still have some some post you know post hoc analysis for sure. So you're still very much. I mean, again, if I understand correctly, you're still very much targeting it as a as a testing device, a device for optimizing position, and then you know uh, using that optimized position down the road for performance. Yes, exactly. And I and I think there we can feed in, we can display that number, even if it's on the cloud computer, with um, at least with. Um, you can relay that back to even back to the to like a Garmin head unit or like a Hammerhead head unit to see that number. Um, but if there's something, it's very important. I think that if there's something that you question, that you can dig in deeper and check. Okay, my drag was low there. Did right. I do something right, or was it, or was there something funny there? You know. So, for instance, if you if you if, if suddenly you have a strong crosswind, if you if you get an eight degree crosswind, your CDA is going to drop by can drop by five percent. You know, and um, mm -hmm. and that. Especially with the red yeah, wheels. So that that that's useful to know, for instance, and it might not be obvious if you get that just as a as an initial prompt. Why did that happen? Yeah, it's it's always like I mean, the the, the hard thing is that it's an equation with so many inputs, and uh, any one of those inputs can can affect the outcome, obviously. And so it's just yeah, controlling all of these variables is is super critical. I just was uh, uh, a friend of mine who was actually on the podcast, um, who was uh, works for Look, uh, Pierre Facompre. He sent me um, an article that uh, the the gentleman who publishes Bicycle Rolling Resistance uh, put up, and he was talking about how. Uh, temperature controls rolling resistance, how tire temperature controls rolling resistance. And we always, we sort of suspected that it was the case. And then some, you know, some, some folks that I, I talked to said, oh yeah, you know, the, uh, the effect is small and others, others were saying, no, the effect is, is substantial. And uh, at least based on this one article, and of course it's an N equals one kind of thing. Um, the, the effect was, was dramatic. I, I it's something that I want to dig into deeper myself and, and talk about on a future show, but you know, that's another variable that's super hard to control for. And as far as I I know. I don't. I, I don't know anyone who, who knows how to control for it just yet. Yeah, I think that 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 that's a tricky problem with um, some of the people who we worked with. We've even gone so far to use um, infrared cameras on the on on the tires just to just to record whether the tire is heating up or not. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, we don't have. I don't have a conclusive answer on that. I've definitely seen that doing you know doing rolling resistance tests that. Um, that it does track with temperature and it's it happens you know if we're for i've seen you know i've seen uh results that don't make a ton of sense when i was testing folks and when we would go out and it's a cool morning it's maybe you know 16 17 degrees when we get started and by the time we're done it's maybe 25 degrees and bright sunshine and you know the tarmac is now nice and hot and uh, i'm willing to bet that there is something happening with the 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 rolling resistance because because our our basically our our CDA would start tracking down and we're like, huh, what, what you know, could it be? I don't have I don't have a definitive answer for this. I don't know for sure that it's that it was the the reduction in the rolling resistance that caused an apparent reduction in CDA, right? Because if we're obviously if we're holding CRR constant and our overall resistance is decreasing, it would show up as a CDA decrease, and that was my that was my hunch, but. Uh, yeah, I'd love to. I'd love to have some some better way f to control for it, especially now that uh, there's some evidence that the the effect, the magnitude of the effect, is not trivial. So, anyway, something else to for, for smart folks like you to chase after. 
Yeah. So, I mean, just, just offhand, what I've seen is maybe with like a five degree C difference, um, you know, numbers moving from, you know, there's always a lot of zeros. It's like 0.0037 yeah. to 0.0035, which would be um, offhand, like, you know, like five or eight percent difference. The only thing which is significant or worth pointing out with CRR is that because CRR is only, is often only, you know, maybe 10 or 20% that it's 5% percent picture, yeah. on a, on a number that's already, you know, 20, you know, whatever number it is, you're going to, you, you're going to, mm-hmm. you know, multiply by take, take 15% of that. Um, and I think that's something which is like, we're really, really trying to do with the software is trying to kind of a joke in the wind tunnel is, you know, that it's a lot of the engineering in a wind tunnel is playing big number, small number. Okay, that's varying, but is that a big number or is that a small number? Yeah. and That's a good way to think about it. Yeah, yeah. because it's like all of a sudden you start thinking about all these different factors and it's like, okay, well, is that, a, you know, is that an important one or is it, or is it not an important one? And um, mm-hmm. I think here that the, the with, with, with the data portal, that really, it allows us, you know, you can put on those models on top of that. For instance, you need to have a crosswind model. You need to have a model that says, if I'm comparing two things with different amounts of crosswind, that I can equate them. Because you, you, you plot your drag versus crosswind. You can see that from different days. It forms sort of a parabola, and you can normalize for that. You can normalize a bit for body position. Uh, and then you, you could do that again for tire temperature. You'd want to have a good model, and you want to trust that it's that your model then, you know, linear stuff makes for good models or even in this case, crosswind, it's, it's a parabola. If something switches, it doesn't make a good model because it's just really, are you <laughs> one side of that or the other? Yeah. Right. I think, yeah, I think CRR is linear. If I remember yeah. Correctly. Yeah. It should be. And with temperature. I, although, yeah. It's tricky not. though with bumps. I don't know, I don't know enough to so talk about bumps it. Bumps kind of just. That's right. Yeah. yeah. The, yeah, the slope changes. It does. It does that hockey stick. Yeah, thing. and so so what you can say though is like if you're testing, yeah. So if you're testing on a course, then generally you can say, all right, we can just we can lock that in for the course because it's the same bumps each time. If holding tire pressure, but yeah, temperature is a relevant thing there. Okay, John, this has been super fun, and uh, we could we could keep going. And uh, I, I'm really grateful for your time and uh, for taking us through what you what you guys are working on. And uh, uh, I know I couldn't pin you down on a release date, so let's 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 do this. When when you do have something that you're ready to ship out, just send me a note because I definitely wanna wanna get a couple of these and uh, slap them on my bike and start playing. Okay, around. Great, Michael. Yeah, thank you, and th- th- thank you for the time. It's been a, it's been a pleasure to be on here. And listeners, as always, thank you for tuning in and spending a bit of time with us. Uh, if you like the show, give us a rating and a review on iTunes, ideally, because that's where the algorithms trawl through. And uh, tune in with us. I was I used to say next week all the time, but we're still on our summer schedule. So next time I get a, an interesting person on the show to talk to. Okay, until then, uh, have fun, ride your bikes, and we'll talk to you soon.